What's up with these Southern California teams? The Dodgers are on top, the Padres on the bottom, and the Angels right in the middle at 500. We'll ask Southern California teams analyst Jock Thompson of BaseballHQ.com next. Baseball is ready. Gets the sign. Two strikes, ball one. Here comes the pitch. Strike three. Levels the bat a couple of times. Shall kicks and he fires. Rose Wayne. There it is. There it is. Get out. Get out. All right. in the air to deep center. Finley back, away back, on the track, at the wall, gone! A three-run home run for Scott Brocious. Scott Brocious might well be... ...the left-handers line. The 0-2 pitch on the way. Swag, it's over! He has done it! High fastball, Randy Johnson being mobbed by Scott Bradley down to greet him and the entire Mariner team here on the 2nd of June. It ends at 9 Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of June the 9th, show number 21 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, I am your host, and in addition to Southern California teams analyst Jock Thompson from BaseballHQ.com, we'll have our regular contributors from the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our National League analyst is Harold Nichols, our American League analyst is columnist Matt Beagle, also our Market Pulse commentator this week, talking about gaining a 10% improvement in counting stats by studying the schedule. In our regular Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon looks at Carlos Correa, the Houston shortstop who was the first pick in the 2012 draft. And in Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talks about focusing on little victories when that big one is out of reach. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Three games from top to bottom in the American League East, just one of many tight races. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of our show, our League Watch News reports. Matt Beagle is on deck with players from the American League and leading off the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Going to be talking a lot about pitchers today, Nick, uh, starting with a really interesting column by Stephen Nickran, BaseballHQ.com starting pitcher columnist, where he looked at pitchers who had very high base performance values in the month of May and in the month of May alone. And base performance value, I should explain to people who aren't familiar, is kind of a summary of all the skills that BaseballHQ.com looks at when they're assessing pitchers, strikeout rate, walk rate, home run rate, and so forth. And uh, one of the guys who had a really good month for BPV was Ian Kennedy. Yeah, but Ian Kennedy you know, didn't have as, as good a month in terms of outward stats. I mean, you got a 4.66 ERA over the last month. Uh, and that doesn't begin to look too good if this guy is your is your staff ace, a 2-4 record. Uh, so you begin to wonder, is something wrong with him? And what you've got to do in those cases is look back at the skills. And if you look at the skills over the past month, they've been wonderful. A BPV of 122, which is uh, an elite BPV is 100, so he's well over that. Uh, outstanding dom rate, struck out 9.8 batters per nine innings, didn't walk very many, excellent control. His expected ERA for the month was 3.45. So Ian Kennedy just went through kind of a rough patch, um, sort of a low strand rate, sort of a high hit rate, just a kind of combination of those things going on, and gave up more home runs than he usually does during the month of during the month of May. But there's nothing fundamentally wrong with him. So what we expect is he's going to revert back to being the kind of pitcher he he has been. And in fact, in this past week, he struck out out 12 batters in six innings. Uh, didn't allow any earned runs and looked absolutely phenomenal. So what you've got to watch out for with all of these kinds of things is guys who have a little bit of a funk in terms of their luck, uh, but do do very, very well in terms of their outward stats. If Ian Kennedy's owner's nervous, now's a good time to try to buy. And Stephen also mentioned Stephen Strasburg of the Nationals 
and here's a guy who's uh, he's got six wins, his ERA is under two and a half, his ratio is right around one, and yet people who look at just month by month or in these short terms might look at Steven Strasburg and think this is a guy that I might want to sell uh, while he's uh, kind of struggling because he hasn't had a good outward month of May. You know, here he goes, a 4.5 OERA, and the guy's coming back from surgery last, you know, two years ago. And so you begin to wonder if, if April was just luck. But if you, again, if you look at the skills, skills were absolutely fantastic during the month of May. Um, 12.5 batters per nine innings in terms of strikeouts, excellent control, a, a ground ball rate of 44%. Um, fantastic, 36% hit rate, 21% home run per fly rate, and that got that ERA up in May. But all of that's going to work out. That's That's a matter of luck. Uh, and, in fact, he also had a very good start this past week. Seven innings, no run runs, nine strikeouts, uh, looked looked extremely good. So uh, just a, a good lesson in terms of don't go by single-month stats. We talk about sometimes at Baseball HQ, you've got to kind of divide things into some breaking point. But uh, you've talked a lot before, uh, Patrick, about the fi- uh, the idea that that breaking point is, uh, is uh, really very arbitrary. Yeah, it is, and uh, especially as the – period that you're looking at grows shorter and shorter. The, the variability in outcomes grows larger and larger. Uh, this week I have a research column about Mark Burley, whose career ERA has settled in, in a very narrow range over his career, starting you know a year or so into his career, and from then till now, around 370. But as you shorten that period down to, say, 24 games, which is how many uh, starts he'll have left in a, after the one-third mark uh, like this year, then all of a sudden, instead of that ERA being in a relatively narrow range, uh, it starts to get into a real wide range, uh, 24-start range for his career, a low of 260 for an ERA to a high of 6.08. And this is while his core stats have remained relatively stable. They don't, they don't vary nearly as much as the outcomes do because of the influence of luck, as you said. But we should caution that just because somebody's being unlucky is no guarantee that he's going to be unlucky or vice versa. It's very possible that a guy who's having a bad run of luck could have a bad run of luck for another month. And so what you're doing is you're betting the odds on a guy like Strasburg is going to see his luck return to normal or even better than normal but it's by no means a sure thing. Yeah, that's very, very true. I mean, a bad run of luck can continue, and uh, certainly it's likely to regress to what are his norms, but you're right, it can continue a bit longer than you want it to. Right, we, we very strongly believe at BaseballHQ.com and everybody in the, in the baseball forecasting and baseball player analysis business, we all believe in regression to the mean. I mean, if you've got a guy who's a 300 hitter for his career, and has certain skill levels, and they vary a little bit, we very strongly believe that they are going to return to the norm. But what we have to understand is the norm is established over a very long period of time. And as that period of time gets shorter, the possibility that he doesn't return to the mean or that he you know, veers off in some other direction increase. And uh, as a matter of fact, Ron Chandler's got an interesting column this week about these new one-night game leagues that you can play, and you sign up and you, you draft your team, and it's only one night that the whole thing gets settled. And in that very short period of time, of course, you can see that even, uh, even Josh Hamilton, who's hitting 380 or whatever it is, can go 0 for 4 because that just happens sometimes. And, and so... The shorter the period, the the likelier you're going to see variation from what you expect. Very definitely. Over in San Diego, Nick, uh, the return of Houston Street is going to reinstall him as the closer there, which pushes Dale Thayer out. What do you make of this situation? You know, Houston Street certainly is, uh, has pitched, pitched very, very well before coming back. And a 0.84 ERA so far in, in uh, 11 innings pitched, 14 strikeouts, three walks. It's going to become the closer. But the thing to remember in San Diego is that Houston Street's not likely to remain the closer all year. A couple of things are, 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 are in the way of that. First of all, um, the guy gets hurt. We know that. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't expect to uh, surprise him to, to find him back on the DL again any time. Second thing is he could get traded at the deadline. So keep an eye on Dale Thayer. Not a guy to jettison, I think, right now. Dale Thayer has pitched very, very well. Um, ERA is up, but got five saves. And uh, looks as though he could, and, and certainly a BPV of 158 so far. So an elite BPV, uh, a guy that uh, could take over the closer role once again. So my my take would be, I think, not to jettison Dale Thayer right at this point, just because Houston Street is back in the lineup and doing the closing. 
Right. The, the mantra at BaseballHQ.com is buy the skills or hold the skills and don't worry so much about the role because those things will work themselves out. And you make a great point. Houston Street's a really terrific pitcher and he has terrific skills, but there are a lot of playing time questions here between trades and injuries. So uh, Dale Thayer may start appearing on waiver wires in a lot of leagues once he loses the role, but that doesn't change the fact that he's been a very effective pitcher with actually some upside from those tremendous skills you mentioned. I like uh, Dale Thayer as a get. Yeah, I do too, very definitely. And Nick, uh, in a similar sort of situation, we've talked before about Steve Sishek down in Miami, and the question it was and is, is he going to replace Heath Bell as the closer down there? And mitigating against it is they're paying Bell a big heck of a lot of money to be the closer, and that often is the deciding factor. But really, uh, Sishek has had a lot better skills than Bell has. Interesting column this week about closers and, and uh, kind of looking at guys who are not closers but, but might get the role. And Steve Sissick is the one rated as the most likely to take over a closer role. Uh, posting very, very good skills, uh, a 90-89 BPV at the moment. Um, Heath Bell has been absolutely brutal. I think there's really a good chance that, in fact, Steve Sissick could wind up as the closer. Uh, they can't. Uh, Heath Bell's been good over the last uh, the last few appearances. They'll give him a, be- a, a little bit of a chance because of that big contract, but... Uh, again, if, if you own uh, Steve Sissick or if he's available in your league, he's a guy I would go and pick up. Yeah, Sissick's got a 9.5 DOM, 9.5 strikeouts per nine, which is well better than what Bell's doing. And uh, and Bell has 15 walks in just 21 innings. And Nick, uh, even with a big contract, no manager wants to see his supposed closer, the guy who's going to shut the door on a close game, uh, giving out the free passes at that kind of a rate. You've got to ride rollerblades by the case if that's happening. <laughs> that's right. All right, uh, Nick, thanks very much. We'll talk to you again in a week's time. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols is the Director of Skills Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our National League News reporter here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's move to the American League. And BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle. Matt, welcome back to the show. Getting ready for another round of interleague play, Patrick. Oh, geez, Matt, don't remind me. I I don't like it much. Uh, How do you feel about interleague play? I really like interleague play. I like seeing different teams face other different teams. I think watching two division rivals go at it 18 times a year is a little much. I think a little variety makes things more interesting for the season ticket holders, for the fans. It's good to see different teams play uh, other teams that are not ordinarily playing. I would like to see more, actually. I'm very much the minority, I'm sure, but... Uh, I really enjoy the interleague play. I'd like to see him play all the teams around the league each time, a home and away if you can, or alternating home and away each year. I just think it adds a lot more interest to the sport. Uh, you say you have the Red Sox-Yankees. You like to see 18 times a year, but for every Red Sox-Yankees, I can name five other uh, bottom-level division teams that I just get tired of seeing them face each other over and over and over. Having formerly lived in a major league city uh, in Cleveland, you know, watching the Twins come and the Royals come time after time and playing the same teams. It's a lot more interesting when you have season tickets and you get to see a different team uh, most every night during different times of the year. I still wouldn't want to see Cleveland and San Diego, but each to his own. Uh, Matt, the interleague play that people are really going to be interested in this weekend, I think, is going to be Washington and the Red Sox, uh, particularly for fantasy owners who get a look at Daisuke Matsuzaka making his return to the Red Sox rotation after more than a year off with Tommy John surgery. I guess the question is going to be, how do you feel about rostering Daisuke? Well, Daisuke still has lots of the publicity and the name, but he's really been a disappointing fantasy player. In the last four years, his command has never been higher than 1.8. His expected ERA has never been lower than 4.57. And his fly ball rate's never been lower than 43%. And it's in a rising trend. So even though he pitches for the Red Sox, and you think you're going to get a lot of wins with Dice K, his skills just have not been there the past four years. Once the league got a good look at him after his initial foray into the majors, uh, Dice K has been very mediocre as a pitcher and certainly not someone that you ordinarily would roster. Maybe he's got his arm straightened out after the surgery here, and now he's ready to go. He did look good in his rehab stint. He got his strikeouts to walks almost 3-1, to which is very unusual. But uh, like I said, the past several years have not been good for Dice K, so I would not expect uh, excellent things. He's definitely a guy you're going to pick up if you're near the bottom of the league and need some a shot in your arm to your team to take a chance to really uh, hope you can find lightning in a bottle. But certainly... Not a guy you want to depend on to carry your team. 
Yeah, I agree with you, Matt. A 3.0 command ratio you mentioned in the minor leagues, but it was the minor leagues. A little tougher to get that fastball by the major league hitters. Also in Boston, though, they have a starting pitcher, Felix Dubront. Kind of came out of nowhere, Matt. Uh, What do you think of his season so far? Dubron's been a very nice story, uh, very surprising, especially his strikeout rate. His dominance is 9.5. That's more than a strikeout per inning, and that far exceeds his minor league track record of about a little under seven strikeouts per innings if you use the major league equivalents. So I don't think anyone really expected him to strike out so many batters, and that's given him a 2.6 command rate. Most people were expecting uh, something barely reaching two because of his low strikeout rate. He really hasn't improved his control. and In essence, it's been a little worse, 3.6 walks per nine innings. Uh, he does have a decent ground ball rate at 43%. So he's certainly a serviceable pitcher. His expected array is 345. So uh, the skills he's displayed this year do reveal an excellent pitcher. But uh, his minor league tracker does not suggest that he can keep up this level of performance. So I'd be a little careful with Felix Dubron. You know, the story in the Boston pitching staff, of course, Daniel Bard, who was brought out of the bullpen to become a starter, uh, did not do a really good job and, in fact, was sent down this week to get his head together. I think they're going to leave him as a starter for now. But meanwhile, over in Chicago, they had kind of a similar thing going on with Chris Sale. He was in the bullpen, then he was in the rotation, then he's back in the bullpen, now he's back in the rotation. What do you think of Chris Sale as a starting pitcher, Matt? Chris Sale's made a great transition from the bullpen to the starting rotation, despite some elbow woes. Uh, his ERA of 230 probably won't hold up. He's got a low 27% hit rate and a very high 79% strand, but his expected ERA is still solid at 2.97. He's done that based on a solid improvement in his walk rate, only 2.4 walks per nine innings. That's a whole batter per nine innings better than his previous two seasons, and it's trending in the right direction. His strikeouts have also fallen, but because he's reduced his walks so much, his command still sits at a 3.8, and that's very healthy. He's posted triple-digit base performance value each of his three seasons in the majors. He's inducing ground balls with a 46% ground ball rate. I think the only question is, is he going to pitch all year with that bulky elbow, or is he going to get sent to the DL or get his innings limited if the White Sox do fall out of the race later in the season? But certainly Chris Sale right now is uh, given a nice return to all of his owners. While we're on the south side, Matt, how about the slugger Diane Viciedo? Uh, the guys in the broadcast booth call him the tank. The tank has had a great year, except his walk rate. Uh, while this guy is very exciting with his power, which is legitimate, a 133 power index, uh, I don't think he's going to quite stay at this level. He has a 27% home run to fly ball ratio, which is extraordinarily high. And the strike zone can be exploited with him. He only walks 3% of the time. So very much a free swinger. His eye ratio is only 0.12, very low. So I think pitchers are going to start pitching around him a little bit, stop giving him pitches to hit, and that's going to cause his batting average to plummet. His expected batting average isn't too bad at 267, but uh, overall I think Vissier is going to be power and not much else. And when you're not getting on base, it's very difficult to post counting stats. And Matt, counting stats is going to be the topic of your Market Pulse commentary uh, a little later on in this program. Yes, a popular uh, feature we had last year about this time was how to increase your counting stats by 10% by targeting players on certain teams that haven't played as many games. So that'll be the subject of the Market Pulse this week. And speaking of counting stats, Matt, every year a lot of fantasy owners cast their lot with B.J. Upton of Tampa, and pretty much every year he disappoints in one way or another. Is this going to be his breakout year, or is it going to be another one of those he almost did it? Upton's off to a nice start with a two seventy six batting average, but we see it's a result of a 36% hit rate. His expected batting average is only two fifty six, and one of the biggest culprits is he was known for a high walk rate, but in 2012 it's down to 8%. League average, but in the past, he's always been in double digits except 2009, and that's been a key to his stolen base attempts and his run scoring ability. But we do see that his uh, walk rate is down this year. His contact rate is slowly rebounding a little bit, but still horrid at 72%. Uh, His home runs are gone down. His power index is on a three-year declining trend down to 110 in 2012. Still stealing bases, but we see his speed number eroding down to 109, still better than league average, but not the same stolen base guy he was in the past. So B.J. Upton, with all that talent, still is not giving us evidence he's really put it together yet to succeed in the major leagues. 
Also in the Tampa outfield, Desmond Jennings has come back from injury. Here's another guy with all the potential in the world, but so far not really much in the delivery. Jennings has disappointed a lot of his fantasy owners, mostly because people jumped on him really early. He was one guy we talked about being very overvalued in our preseason market pulse columns. Uh, People were expecting him to reach 25 homers, steal 30 bases, and reality is his track record did not indicate that. Uh, Although in 2011 he had 10 homers and 127 at-bats, he had never showed that kind of power before in the minor leagues. And this year, three homers uh, so far, so definitely a disappointment in the power department. But we told you that here at Baseball HQ that he would not post those power numbers. His power next is about 76 uh, his batting average has been low, 265. His expected batting average does not suggest an improvement there. It's only 240. He has stolen the bases. He's got eight so far, and a 168 speed score tells you that that's a legitimate skill that he could improve upon. But uh, he's coming back from a knee injury, so you can't really expect stolen bases either. I think Desmond Jennings is going to be a disappointment this year. He may bounce back a little bit in the second half, but he's not going to post the numbers to warrant the draft position he had in 2012. And finally, Matt, yet another guy coming back from injury, maybe the most intriguing of the bunch, Baltimore second baseman Brian Roberts. Once upon a time, this guy was a terrific middle infielder as far as uh, getting batting average for you and a lot of stolen bases. Is there any chance this guy can be a contributor? Brian Roberts was always a great middle infielder. You could get on and count on a decent batting average, lots of stolen bases, and lots of runs because of his walk rate. Uh, In 2011, he did post a very high 87% contact rate in limited play. His expected betting average was higher than his 221, but only 247. He had a 24% hit rate. Uh, some things to be careful of here, uh, like B.J. Upton, a, a falling walk trend, only 7% walk rate, and it's been falling each of the last five years. He's been putting more balls in the air, a three-year rising fly ball rate, which is not something we want to see from a speedster. Um, his speed score hasn't reached league average in the last three years. So he's really a 20 stolen base guy now, not a 30 or 40 stolen base guy as he's been in the past. And that's over a full season. So coming back from the injury, uh, only getting a little over half the year, it'd be a real stretch for him to get to 20 stolen bases in 2012. So not a bad guy to pick up on the waiver wire if he needs some steals, needs some runs, but very much an injury risk. And uh, his best days are certainly behind him. As are many of ours. Uh, Matt, thanks very much for doing this. We'll talk to you again in a week. Look forward to it, Patrick. Matt Beagle is a columnist at BaseballHQ.com and our American League commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our feature interview with Southern California team analyst Jock Thompson of BaseballHQ.com comes up next. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate. And listen to this crowd. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Pleasure now to be joined by Jock Thompson, the Director of Information at BaseballHQ.com. Jock also writes regularly for the site and is our team analyst for the three Southern California teams, the Angels, the Dodgers, and the Padres. Jock Thompson, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, PD. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fine. And uh, how are your teams doing? Uh, my teams are struggling. I've, I've had a lot of injury issues. Uh, when you own Matt Kemp and uh, Felix Hernandez and Derek Holland and Desmond Jennings in a couple of leagues, uh, you're not having a real good good month. Yeah, boy, I hear you on that. I have Evan Longoria is killing me in one league and uh, the slow start of Albert Pujols in that same league. And let's start with Albert Pujols. In addition to all of the trouble he's been having with a slow start, and we thought maybe he was getting it together, and now doesn't look like it again. Now they say he's going to go over and play some third base during interleague play. Does this matter? Well, it, it matters if you're in a 25 league. But, but even then, I mean, the problem that you have right now is that uh, there's only six more interleague games left. And he didn't play any third base in San Diego, so he's going to have to play five of the next six games over there for you to qualify. So it really depends on what your rules are. Um, if you're looking for a third baseman, obviously um, Pujols wouldn't be a bad fit right now. I, I think 
I think the 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 owners that it really helps is Kendry Morales, who's who's really starting to heat up right now, and just the fact that he's going to play three games in Colorado, or at least a couple of games in Colorado, um, kind of adds to that. And he'll be playing first base over there. That's correct. He'll be taking Pujols' place. What I was wondering more is. Uh... Given the trouble that Pujols has had this year, is there any concern that in addition to like having trouble with the bat, that moving positions for a while is going to add to those burdens, his offensive burdens as well? You know, it's interesting. I, 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 I'm really not sure. I mean, if you listen to him, and I've heard him talk about this on, uh, on the radio, uh, he, um, he doesn't seem to be too concerned about it. You know, he's, he's played third base before. I mean, he's, he's a fairly confident guy. I don't know how that's going to translate into his play. But um, obviously, they're looking for an offensive edge going into uh, into Colorado. I think I th- it, it, I'm not sure what the pitching schedule is, but uh, I, I know that Weaver's going one of those games, and Santana's going two, and they're not exactly ground ball pitchers. So we're going to have to see what happens there. I I think they're going to try to hide him over there for a few games. Just in general, how, how do you feel about Albert Pujols? Has he turned the corner? Is he going to be? even a shadow of his former self offensively for the balance of the year? Well, I'm I'm still kind of mixed on Pujols. I think the home run numbers are going to be there. He's going to get his 30 home runs. Um, the thing that I see with him as I watch him is that he's still pressing. When he comes up in a big situation where the Angels uh, really need a hit, and it's happened a lot in the past week, um, he is chasing pitches out of the zone. He he really looks nothing like the hitter he used to be. He's He's not waiting. Um, he should be walking a lot more, and he's still not doing that. But he's he's really still getting himself out in key situations. And that is something to be concerned about because it was kind of his watchword was that he was willing to be very patient, wait for his pitch and drive it. And if he's chasing or pressing, then uh, maybe the batting average recovery that all of us Pujols owners are patiently waiting for is still going to be a long time coming. You know, Jock, even more than Pujols' slow start, Fantasy owners are really curious about Mark Trumbull's great start. Here's what he's the third overall in the American League in batting average. Of course, we knew he had power. You're a longtime Angels watcher, a longtime Trumbull watcher. What's going on here with Mark Trumbull? Well, I think a lot of people know that I was I was kind of one of Trumbo's biggest supporters in spring when a lot of people were dissing him and wondering how much time he was going to play. One of the things that I've always known about Trumbo that I've, I've tried to tell people is this is not a guy who has a big hole in his swing. In other words, most power hitters usually have a spot where they're, where they're constantly offering at pitches, and, and they're usually missing them. Trumbo pretty much swung at everything last year, as you know, but he always made some sort of contact. This was a power hitter with a contact rate of, of 78%. So even though the contact wasn't very good, he could still at least catch up to the ball. And I always wondered what would happen if he just, you know, was a little more patient, a little more selective. And as you know, his 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 walk rate has gone from four percent now to seven percent, which isn't great, but it's really making a difference. I mean, he's he's really working counts a little bit better and forcing those pitchers to throw better pitches. And when he does, his power is as good as anybody in the leagues. He, I I think if anything, his power was understated last year, and that's the difference. Well, that and a little bit of hit rate luck. I mean, he's not going to hit three thirty all year, but it's very possible he could be a 290-300 hitter with some terrific power. Well, and all of his uh, expected batting average support comes from the power. His I ratio is still only about three strikeouts for every walk, which is not great. And you did mention hit rate. It's up around 40% right now, and of course that's not going to last either. But uh, boy, if he hit 290, that'd be quite the payoff for anybody who drafted him thinking he was going to hit 245 to get all those home runs. Yeah, the other difference that, that, it, that uh, about from this year for last is he's really going line to line. If you look at a hit chart, his hits are all over the field, including his home runs. So he, he's really made a big improvement in his plate approach. Sticking with the Angels, is uh, Ernesto Frieri now established in the closer role, do you think? Um, I'm not sure if he's established. I still think Sosha's looking at matchups. Um, I'm still seeing, depending on the situation, uh, for example, if if uh, if, if Sosha hit an eighth inning in a tie game or a, or a game where the Angels had a one-run lead and three right-handed hitters were coming up and, and most of them were pretty good, I doubt that he'd use downs. I think, he's, I think he'd still use Frieri. This, uh, Frieri's recent saves have been a factor of, uh, for example, I think a couple of them were against Texas, the fact that the Angels were facing Josh Hamilton in the eighth inning, and that was a very logical place to put Scott Downs. I think if you put a gun to Sosha's head, I think he would – he would probably put Frieri in the ninth inning role, but I still think it's a matchup situation here.
And we've long said that's the smart way to play it, right? I mean, if you have a an excellent left-handed reliever like Downs, who's death on left-handed hitters, and an excellent right-handed reliever like Frieri, who's striking out almost 17 guys per nine innings and is death against right-handers, why wouldn't you go about it that way? I agree. I mean, it makes too much sense, doesn't it? Um, and and astonishingly, uh, Socha and, and other managers usually, uh, a lot of times, they don't follow this dictum, but he's doing it and it's working, so why change right now? And there are more right-handed batters, so if Socha is playing the matchups game, you really have to like Frieri's chances of getting some save ops. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, and you mentioned his strikeouts. I mean, his strikeout rate is uh, is ridiculous. He, if you've watched him any, he really does have an explosive explosive arm. He has good deception. Uh, the ball jumps when it hits the plate. Um, obviously, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when he hits a rough patch. He still he still uh, loses control of his ball occasionally. He walks hitters. Um, he he'll he'll give up fly balls when they do make contact with him. But he seems to be really challenged and really responding to the to the role they put him in, and he enjoys it. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him grab this role eventually. I think in the long run, Jock, he's going to have to settle down on the walks. He's he's always been a bit of a walk machine. He's at over five walks per nine innings. Because of all the strikeouts, it's maybe not quite that big a deal. His command ratio is still over three strikeouts for every walk, but five strikeout or five walks, pardon me, for every nine innings is is not closer material really, despite that high dom rate. No, I agree. I mean, I think I think closers, a lot of them can survive walking uh, maybe around four hitters and. Uh, an inning just because they pitch in such short, short stretches and if they're missing enough bats that's fine but yeah you get up around five and and it's a little scary especially when your fly ball rate is up around 60 percent as well yeah exactly that combination is a little toxic yeah 18 percent ground ball rate if if that was reversed if it was a 60 percent ground ball rate and an 18 percent fly ball rate this guy would be the next coming of dennis eckersley i think yeah, <laughs> uh, staying in Los Angeles, but moving to the Dodgers. I, the question that I have is about James Loney. I always liked this guy. I liked him coming into this year. I didn't land him on any of my fantasy rosters, and now I have to say I'm glad of it. Are his days really numbered over there? Well, remember what he did last year. Um, just for example, last year he went into the All Star break with a 6.71 OPS. It's very similar to what he's doing right now. And then after the break, he wound up with a uh, uh, what was it? It was like an 8.56 OPS. So he, he, it's it's very, it's possible for him to turn that corner. I mean, he did it once. Why not again? I mean, the, the problem that you have right now, though, is that number one, the Dodgers are competitive. Um, uh, they're they're scratching for offense because because Kemp is out. And now with new ownership, how much time is is Loney going to be given to turn this ship around? I don't know the answer to that. I think he's capable of it. Uh, the problem that the Dodgers have right now is that he's still their best first base option. Juan Rivera is a right-handed hitter who who even given Loney's problems, I don't think Rivera is as good as Loney. And um, both uh, Jerry Sands and uh, Scott Van Slyke were up recently, and they really didn't show any 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 sign at all of taking over Loney's spot. Um, if Loney's going to get replaced, I think it's going to have to come from the outside. So that that's kind of where we are there. I was thinking exactly the same thing, that the real threat to James Loney at first base might be if the Dodgers get to the all-star break or thereabouts and see themselves as a real legitimate contender, not just to make the playoffs because that's getting increasingly easy with all the wild cards, but they must feel like they have a legitimate shot at going quite a distance in the playoffs, and if that's the case, they're going to need more production from those corner spots than they're getting from James Loney. They might be the kind of team that would reach out to an also-ran and make a deal. They've got prospects to spare in the Dodger system. Uh, that That's the threat to the playing time for James Loney, I think, is a trained, an inbound first baseman from trade. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you, Petey. I think uh, I think Loney really has to step it up in June. He can't wait for July to step it up now because they're going to be looking for a replacement. Finally, uh, Jock, the third team that you cover down there in Southern California, the Padres, just nothing but bad news for them. They're having a rough year anyway, but Cameron Maben's been hurt, Venable's hurt. Don't you just feel sorry for these guys? Yeah, and and it's not just those guys. I mean, the the injuries just permeate that that whole organization. Um, I mean, the plan going into the season, they were going to give guys like um, uh, uh, Kyle Blanks and uh, and James Darnell some outfield time. That was their backup plan if some of these guys went down. And, of course, those guys are out long term. Um, the, the injuries just run up and down the list. I can't imagine a major league team that uh, 
has had more injuries than the Padres. And it's even worse on the pitching side. They came in with three minor league starters, all of whom had double-A experience in uh, Casey Kelly, Rob Erlin, and Joe Weiland. And whereas Weiland has gotten to the big leagues, he's injured. All three pitchers have been injured, and I think all three of them are still on the DL right now. Yeah, and it's awful tough when you're a, a low-revenue team or a relatively low-revenue team and as a result, your roster is not deep like it is in, in other maybe richer climbs, then uh, it's really tough when you start losing. First, you lose your frontline guy. Then right away after that, you lose his replacement and so on down the list. That all said, it, it should be good news for Jesus Guzman, shouldn't it? You know, it should be. And, and I think the only reason that he's still getting playing time is because of all those injuries. Interestingly enough, and, and here's the other problem in in. in with San Diego in, in looking at hitters from a fantasy perspective. Jesus Guzman has put up a, a really good PX for the past 30 days. It's about a 136 uh, um, power index. Um, but he still only has one home run, which is which you know illustrates the hazards of playing in Petco Park. They did get Houston Street back, and how's that going to affect the bullpen, do you think? Well, as long as Street can stay healthy, he's obviously go- going to be the closer, and Dale Thayer is... Uh, his place in the sun is uh, is no more. He'll probably set him up. Um, the interesting news there, I think, is Andrew Kashner moving to the moving to a starting role simply because they, their their pit starting pitching has been trashed so much. But um, with Kashner moving out and um, and Thayer, I mean, Thayer chances are is going to be a trade candidate. You really wonder who the backup closer might be for Houston Street if he goes down, which uh, makes you take a look at a, a guy like Brad. Brock, who's come back and is and is striking out a lot of hitters now, he still has problems with the walks occasionally, but um, it puts that uh, that San Diego closer spot longer term up in the air again. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Jock Thompson from BaseballHQ.com, and before we go on, what the heck is going on with Howie Kendrick? I drafted this guy in three different leagues because I thought this is this is one of the most consistent, reliable guys in all of baseball, and he just looks terrible out there, Jock. Yeah, I don't get it either, and I and I think Howie Kendrick was probably one of the excuses that uh, Jerry Depoto gave for for um, um, relieving Mitch, Mickey Hatcher of his duties when he did. Uh, he's swinging and missing at a lot of pitches. He's chasing pitches. Um, him and him and Eric Ibar have the same disease, and I and I think it's going to be a while before they can purge it out of the Angel system. Um, he should be, along with Ibar, one of um, um, new hitting coaches Jim Eppert's big projects because uh, he needs to be more patient. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm kind of stunned, too. His season really has never taken off. Well, this kind of started last year with Kendrick. He, he was, uh, up until 2010, was a sort of low to mid-80s contact guy, and this year he's down to 77%, so he's swinging, striking out in 23% of his at-bats, and whatever the cause is, I hope they figure it out because he's killing a lot of teams, not least uh, mine. Uh, Jock, a couple of weeks ago, Ron Chandler wrote a fanalytics column that said we should add holds to the saves category to reduce or eliminate the effects of pure random luck in determining who wins leagues because closers, the closer merry-go-round uh, affects the outcomes of leagues. What do you think of this idea? You know what? I, I like the idea conceptually, um, and and I and I know that one of the reasons it's it's relevant now is because of the the closer merry-go-round, which we both know has never been, never ever been this bad. Not that I can remember. I don't know. What do you think? I, I don't like the idea, and I'll tell you why. A few years ago, I was having a debate with a guy from BaseballHQ.com who's no longer with the site, and. He was of the opinion that the categories in rotisserie baseball should be the skills metrics, strikeouts per nine, walks per nine, command ratio, uh, all of these kind of things. And I thought, you know, the fun of the game is embracing the randomness, the variability, the luck, for want of a better word, that comes along with it. I, di- I don't want to play a game where things are too predictable. You know, I, I want a league where I can have a pitcher who pitches really well and doesn't get wins or, or you know, has an unusually high uh, hit rate or low strand rate and has an ERA that's way out of line or in, in either direction because, to me, that's the fun of it. And drafting a closer and having him go down or drafting the second guy and having him become the closer, these are all elements that are tests of managerial skill 
and inject a little bit of luck into the game that the game needs to be fun, in my opinion. Yeah, and and it's interesting. I was going to finish my thought with with two things, and one of them was one of the things you mentioned. I, too, like the idea of luck. Um, I like the idea of using saves and wins as categories. Um, I like that wild card that, that, that can give somebody an edge that, that, that he or she might not have. What, what I do hate is the holds category per se, because basically you can give up three runs and still get a hold. Um, I would like to see some sort of a stat that basically reflects a relief pitcher's ability to come in and keep the lead or hold the line in a tight game. Now, I don't know what that stat is, um, but I think it's a stat that could be added to the game along with the saves and wins without taking away the luck element. I wonder if you could do a relief pitch category that didn't use the save or hold at all by doing inherited runners. And the, I guess the problem with that is you'd be rewarding guys who are brought in in higher leverage situations, which is a managerial type of thing. But if you just had a inherited runners minus runners that are allowed to score kind of thing, just a counting, as a counting category, all of a sudden now you're, you're searching for, when you're going into draft, you're looking for pitchers whose managers trust them enough to bring them in with two guys on and nobody out. And if they succeed at that, then they're very, very valuable. They're very, very valuable in real baseball. And I, I always think that what we should be kind of looking at is guys who are somewhat valuable in fantasy baseball in the same sort of proportion that they're valuable to their managers in real baseball. Yeah, I agree with that concept, too. I, 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 w- I, I would like to see a stat that did include um, uh, that particular aspect of being able to come in and, and prevent runs from scoring. And, uh, of course, if you had a guy who was routinely being brought in with no runners on, he can't add to the count, but he can still add to the count of the bad part, which is allowing runs to score. So um, maybe uh, you'd have to incorporate how many runners he left behind, you know, some kind of negative count for bequeathed runners, runners allowed to score, and so on. I'm sure somebody could figure it out. I I would just like to – I appreciate what Ron's saying about the – variability or the the sheer randomness of the whole saves and closers situation but on the other hand as i said i don't mind the luck and until some better thing comes along i'm with you i just don't like the holds category because it's too easy to get one yeah exactly i mean when you can when you can give up three four runs in a game and uh, in an inning and still get a hold there's something wrong with that stat you're listening to baseball hq radio patrick davitt with jock thompson from baseballhq.com director of information a regular columnist and writer at the site and the team analyst for the angels the dodgers and the padres but we're going to close by asking you uh, as we've been asking all of our featured guests so far this year to pick out some players to look at or not look at for the balance of the year and we're going to start in the national league who's a pitcher you really like for the balance of this uh 2012 season you know the the pitcher i really like until he came down with plantar fasciitis obviously was going to be clayton kershaw he's he's a pitcher that that scares me a little bit right now but um i'm gonna shock you with the name i throw out here r.a dickey he's been dominant and he seems to be picking up speed um he's getting a lot of strikeouts now this performances now a knuckler he could run into a rough patch but uh wow what a job he's done this year and he's not the kind of guy who's going to get real tired down the stretch either so i like r.a and uh, quite a nice story. I don't know if you saw the ESPN feature on him a few days ago, but uh, it's quite a quite an inspiring story. His background is was very difficult, and uh, he had a long time, a long wait to get himself into the big leagues, and now he's doing well and good for him. How about an American League pitcher you like? American League pitcher, I'm going to go with David Price. I think he's turning the corner right now. I think he's going to pitch much better in the second half. I just think he's due. And on the hitting side, a National League hitter that you're looking at and saying, there's a guy I wouldn't mind on my roster. There's a few hitters in the National League. I mean, I think everybody likes uh, Andrew McCutcheon and Joey Votto right now. They're favorites, and they're at the top of the list. I, I think I think they're going to keep going. Uh, a guy I really like, if he can stay healthy, is Alan Craig of the Cardinals. Um, I, I think this guy is a lot better than people think he is. Uh, he's, he, he's just a really good hitter, and when he's in the lineup and healthy, he's mashing. David Fries is also doing well in St. Louis. Uh, how about an American League hitter to target? Well, if I'm going to go with the Angel. I'm going to go with Kendry Morales. I think I think Kendry's underperformed a little bit. I don't know if you've watched him the last week. He's hit three home runs. He's starting to get his timing back. Um, I think he could hit 25, 30 home runs for the year, and that means he's going to hit another 20 uh, from here on out. Now let's switch to the guys you're going to be avoiding for the balance of the season. How, a National League pitcher, maybe a guy who's doing all right, but uh, a guy you you want no part of. Uh, in the National League? Yeah. Um, well, obviously, if you go for the low-hanging fruit, you got to pick Barry Zito, who's had, who's had a really good start. 
Um, and you also look at guys like Wade Miley, who's been really good for Arizona, but uh, I think the long year is going to get to him. I'd avoid both of these. And on the American League side, a pitcher to avoid? I'll tell you what, I don't like what's happening in Texas right now. Colby Lewis is about to enter the uh, the summer months over there, and I'm not sure if he's going to survive. He's had a very good start, and he's a good pitcher, but uh, he may wilt a little bit. And obviously you have Jason Hamill over in Baltimore who's pitched really well. Um, I'm real suspicious when I see guys like that uh, who are about to enter some difficult months in either difficult parks or divisions. Jock, I have to say I'm surprised that you mentioned Colby Lewis. This guy's got a 7.5 dom rate, 7.5 strikeouts per nine. He's only walking one guy per nine innings. His command ratio is uh, 6.7 strikeouts for every walk. He's got a bit of the homer bug, but, uh, geez, I've got to say I was a bit surprised to hear you mention uh, Colby Lewis. How about uh, on the hitting side, a National League hitter to avoid? National League hitter, I'm going to go with Andre Ethier. He's had a fast start. Um, he's obviously playing for a contract. Um, he's had health issues in the past. I, I just can't see the Dodgers continuing their run of good luck. Um, I, I think that team's due for a big collapse, and I think he could be part of it. I think his overall numbers are going to wind up pretty good, but I think he's going to tail off in the second half of the season. Good guy to sell high then. Uh, and finally, Jock, how about an American League hitter that you think we should be avoiding or, or at least being very suspicious of? Well, Trumbo's not going to hit three thirty for the rest of the year, but I, I don't think he's going to fall off that badly. Um, I'll, I'll, te- I'll tell you a guy, I, I, I'm not sure his season's going to get started, and that's Torrey Hunter. Um, I, he's done well in spurts, but um, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure, even sure that he's he's going to be playing full time by year end, depending on how well he does. Because let's face it, we have Trumbo and and Trout who've emerged in the outfield. There's only one spot left for Torrey Hunter, Vernon Wells, and Peter Borjos, and that spot's going to be given to who's ever hitting. Not likely to be Borjos then. He still hasn't hit, has he? Well, since he's been playing part time, believe it or not, he's hitting about 267. Um, so it's been a little bit better, and if he could run a little bit, I mean, he may play a little bit more. But you're right; I don't think Borges is going to be. I mean, you could add Borges to that list either, but I think a lot of people already don't like him for the remainder of this year. Although, you know, he's one of those kind of guys that even if he doesn't hit, he could give you a lot of value as a pinch runner stealing your bases. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of surprised he's not at Salt Lake City, but uh, maybe there's something to, to the uh, the rumor of the hip injury. I also thought your advice about Torrey Hunter was sound for this reason. A lot of times at this time of the year when people are looking around to do their dump trading or shore up their teams, they look at a guy with a name like Torrey Hunter and they think, Torrey Hunter, very reliable guy, been around for years, you know, you can count on good old Torrey Hunter. And sometimes they get caught up in that mindset. You know, I know this guy... It's more it's more of an appreciation of the Tory Hunter brand than it is an appreciation of what Tory Hunter's actually doing in the year, which ain't that much. Yeah, uh, Tory is uh, Tory's another guy who who gets real impatient. Uh, he had a real good approach the other night, and 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 I watched him hit a home run. But then, like for the next five six at bats, he was pretty much swinging at everything. And unless he can go through a period of toning that down, I, I wonder how much he's going to do this year. Exactly right. Jock, thanks very much for talking with us. We'll catch up with you again uh, a couple more times during this season. Thanks, PD. Anytime. Jock Thompson is the Director of Information at BaseballHQ.com. He writes regularly for the site and is the team analyst for the three Southern California teams, the Angels, the Dodgers, and the Padres. Our weekly, our regular weekly commentaries are next. You are listening to Baseball HQ Radio. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone.
marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. We have Matt Beagle on deck with the Market Pulse. BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler is in the hole with Master Notes. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about Houston shortstop Carlos Correa, the first pick in the 2012 draft. The 2012 first-year player draft took place earlier this week, and the Houston Astros surprised some by selecting 17-year-old Puerto Rican shortstop Carlos Correa with the first overall pick of the draft. At 6'4", 190, Korea has excellent size and good athleticism. Offensively, he has plus power, a quick bat, and the ability to make consistent, hard contact. Defensively, Korea has quick actions, excellent range, soft hands, and an absolute cannon for an arm. Long-term, he has an excellent chance to stick at shortstop, though some wonder if his size doesn't make him better suited at third base. Scouts compare Korea to Troy Tulowitzki and Alex Rodriguez, nice comps there, both in terms of his size and in terms of his overall tools. While the pick did surprise some who speculated that the Astros would go with Stanford right-hander Mark Appel or high school outfielder Byron Buxton, the club opted to go with Korea instead. Part of the decision to go with Korea was based on the pre-draft conversations that suggested he would likely sign for less than the $7.2 million slot allocated for the first overall pick. But the decision was also based on the fact that Korea had been turning heads in pre-draft workouts. Correa should be able to move up quickly and long-term gives the Astros the kind of impact prospect they have lacked for years. Those in keeper league should roster Carlos Correa as quickly as possible and hope that the Astros' luck has finally changed under new GM Jeff Luno. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, and Colby Garropy have reports and updates on organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. Jeremy's call-up reports this week have already looked at right-handed reliever Sean Tolleson of the Dodgers, shortstop Andrelton Simmons of the Braves, catcher Yasmani Grandel of the Padres, right-handed reliever Stephen Pryor of the Mariners, and left-handed starter Casey Crosby of the Tigers, and many others. So if you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your league, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now the Market Pulse with BaseballHQ.com columnist Matt Beagle talking this week about gaining a 10% improvement in counting stats or points just by studying the schedule. If you play in a points league or need counting stats, this is the Market Pulse segment for you. In 2011, we had a lot of rainouts, and in studying the statistics, we found some real anomalies in the schedule that caused some teams to play a lot more games than others, up to 10% more, even though we're only not even a third of the way through the season. In 2012, we haven't had as many rainouts, but there's still some anomalies that we can exploit if you need counting stats or play in a points league. The Philadelphia Phillies have played the most games in the major leagues, 49. So if you need counting stats, you want to avoid the Phillies. And similarly, only one game behind, Dodgers, Giants, Padres, Seattle, and the New York Mets. doesn't mean to avoid all players on these teams, but if deciding between two free agent pickups, understand that those six teams have played about 10% more games than the following. Kansas City Royals have played the least amount of games in the league at 44 followed by Minnesota Twins, Washington Nationals, and Colorado Rockies at 45. Those four teams create an option for you to exploit the schedule and get 10% more games for more counting stats and more points in your points leagues. So look for Royals, Twins, Nationals, and Rockies at this point in the season to maximize your points and your counting stats. With a market pulse for Baseball HQ, I'm Matt Beagle. Matt Beagle's columns on a variety of fantasy baseball topics appear regularly at BaseballHQ.com.
Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talking this week about focusing on little victories when the big one is out of reach. I grew up in a household populated by die-hard Yankee fans. Inherently, there's nothing wrong with that. However, our apartment was located about three miles from Shea Stadium, and all of my school friends rooted for the other team. Given how much time I spent in school and with those friends, it was no contest. My brother and I became betrothed to the blue and orange. Family get-togethers were a constant battleground. It was always me and my brother against my dad, my uncle, and all the cousins from the Bronx. Still, everyone felt the pain when Thurman Munson's plane went down in 1979. And I thought everyone might feel the joy when Johan Santana hurled the Mets' first no-hitter last weekend. I just happened to be in New York at the time, helping my daughter move into her apartment down on Lafayette Street... One of my cousins offered to meet us for dinner. This is what he said to me. You know, I can't believe all the media hoopla over the no-hitter. Yes, it was a milestone, but so what? The Mets are still not going to win the division. With the Yankees, the eye is always on the real prize. If a Yankee pitches a no-hitter, it's like, nice job, another win, what's the next thing we need to do to get to the World Series? With the Mets, all they've got is a no-hitter. In a way, he's right. It is a difference in mindset, one focused on the big picture, the other on the little victories. But I don't think that's a bad thing, even in fantasy baseball. For starters, not everyone is going to be a winner. In a 12-team league, perhaps three or four owners are already out of contention right now, and another three or four on the brink of packing it in. What do they have to look forward to over the next few months? In a keeper league, perhaps they may be some tactical rebuilding. In a redraft league? I don't know. Football season? So what's so bad about looking for little victories? If you can't win yourself, maybe you can set smaller goals. Maybe you can spend the rest of the season turning around your last place standing and batting average. Maybe you can focus your efforts on making sure your arch rival finishes out of the money. Without resorting to collusion, of course. The one thing you don't want to do is stop playing. Abandoned teams are the scourge of fantasy leagues. As much as dump trades can have a disproportionate impact on the standings, abandoned teams have a potentially worse impact on long-term league health. So if your team is out of contention, look for opportunities to get some little victories. In fact, many leagues have small prizes for winning categories or making up the most ground during the season, regardless of where you finish. Finding ways to maintain interest all year helps prolong league longevity. It's a good thing in its own right. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler. Ron Chandler writes a weekly fanalytics column every Friday at BaseballHQ.com. This week, Ron writes about navigating our short attention spans. Ron also has a weekly chat every Wednesday morning at 11 Eastern at usatoday.com, and he discusses his columns and other topics in the subscriber forums at baseballhq.com. You can get Ron's master notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to baseballhq.com and sign up. Of course, Ron also has his master notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for June the 9th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 21 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and give us those five stars. I also want to thank our guests today, starting with Southern California teams analyst Jock Thompson of BaseballHQ.com. It's always great to catch up with Jock, and it's no easy feat with him out there on the West Coast. Also, thanks to our regular lineup from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, our Market Watch news analysts Harold Nichols and Matt Beagle, also our Market Pulse columnist this week, our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon, and our Master Notes commentator, as always, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler. We have some really great features again this week at BaseballHQ.com. you got to check out Alex Becky's head-to-head column called The Tools of the Trade, And Matt Cederholm, writing in relief of Doug Dennis in the bullpens column, goes fishing for some more closers. And this one is a free sneak peek column, by the way. Even if you're not a subscriber, just go to BaseballHQ.com. 
Plus, we'll have all our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, and more. I'm Patrick Davitt. My batting buyer's guide appears every Tuesday. This past week, I wrote about revisiting some 2011 overperformers, and I have a research column on the site as well. Hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums, and I invite you to check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt. <laughs>